Church, we are really blessed this morning to have Pastor Jody coming to bring God's Word to us. Jody um, looks after all of our bridge care ministries, just seeing God's love being poured out across our community in so many ways, including our amazing new op shop ministry as well, as well as many other things that Jody is involved with. So can we make Jody feel really, really welcome? She comes to share with us today. Welcome to church. How beautiful is that song and that picture of our praises being incense rising up to a mighty God who welcomes us into his presence here today. We are blessed to be able to open his word as we meet together. And I would love you to read along with me from Mark chapter 6. Jesus left that part of the country and returned with his disciples to Nazareth, his hometown. The next Sabbath, he began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. They asked, where did he get all this wisdom and the power to perform such miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just a carpenter the son of Mary and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas and Simon. And his sisters live right here among us. They were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honoured everywhere except in his hometown and among his relatives and his own family. And because of their unbelief, He couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. Then Jesus went from village to village teaching the people. God, this is your word for us today. And I pray, God, that we would hear your voice, that you would help us now to have hearts that are open to receive what you have to say to us. Fill us with faith, God, as we receive your word today in Jesus' name, amen. We have been in this series in the book of Mark over a period of weeks now, and I feel like Mark, writing from Peter's account of life with Jesus, has been taking us on a journey. Mark is laying out the facts of what is happening around Jesus so that we could have everything we need to respond to this incredibly important question that each of us must answer. It is a question that is soon to come in Mark chapter eight, where Jesus asks, who do you say that I am? Don't you think Jesus is a bit mysterious in this way. I mean, he could just tell us who he is, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he invites us to discover, to investigate, to unravel, and to enter into the questions and the mystery to find out who he is. This is the journey of faith. It kind of reminds me of that game we used to play at birthday party at kids called Pass the Parcel. Do you remember that one? You keep unwrapping the layers. And as you take the next layer off, you're kind of hoping that the final prize will be revealed. But there's another layer. And let me tell you, it is not always obvious, even to those closest to Jesus, who he is. They were puzzled and perplexed by him. Just at the end of chapter four in Mark, the disciples exclaim in fear, 
Who is this man? When we come to chapter six, Jesus has been traveling throughout Galilee, proclaiming the kingdom and demonstrating its presence by healing sick people, delivering people from evil spirits. We see a spectacular demonstration of his power over nature. And even just in the lead up to this passage, a young girl had died and was raised back to life. Yes, there had been some opposition from religious authorities, but the advancement of the kingdom still looks like it is in a triumphant move forward. Crowds of people have been impacted and amazed at what they are hearing and seeing. There is a sense of growing momentum for the kingdom and all that is happening around Jesus. And with Jesus arriving back in his hometown of Nazareth, You would expect the momentum to continue with a warm welcome and an enthusiastic reception. There's no place like home, right? I can almost imagine the disciples' expectation growing as Jesus gets up in the synagogue on this Sabbath day. Their anticipation to see Jesus back on his home turf. This is a home game for Jesus. Surely something amazing was about to unfold. And it seemed to start out great. Jesus began teaching in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Crowds reacted like this everywhere. But then the questions started. And with the questions, their amazement seemed to shift to skepticism and even suspicion. Where did he get all this wisdom? Where did the power to perform such miracles come from? I want to be really clear here. The questions are not the problem. Mark invites us to ask questions. Jesus invites us to ask questions. If you have ever been told that your questions are bad, then I want you to hear that questions are healthy things to ask. In seeking out who Jesus is, we need to ask questions. It's one of the things I love about Alpha. You don't just sit and listen. You get to ask the questions and engage with who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't ask us to believe without thinking or accept him blindly. In fact, I think our faith becomes more robust when it is tested and challenged and we have faced some of the tough questions about who Jesus really is. One of the stories in the New Testament which has resonated with me many times on my journey in in faith with Jesus is from Matthew 11. When John the Baptist is overcome by circumstances which seem so unfair and unjust, he's sitting in a prison and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you really the Messiah I thought you were? He's saying, if you really are who you say you are, Jesus, then why am I here and why is this happening to me? Have you ever been there? Do you know those places of questions and doubt in the tough and confronting circumstances of life? As I was mulling over 
these very questions. I heard that a couple in our church had received news of a car accident where their daughter and granddaughter had tragically lost their lives. Life can be so tough. It is full of questions and it is okay to wrestle through them with Jesus as we grapple with our faith and who Jesus is. Jesus responds in gracious affirmation to John's question. Jesus is big enough to handle our questions. It is not the the questions that are the problem here in Nazareth. The problem is that the people of Nazareth weren't asking questions to find out answers. The questions they are asking are redundant because they've already made up their minds. Instead of allowing their questions to lead them into truth, allowing Jesus to reveal who he really is to them, they scoff at Jesus. They say, we know this guy. He's just a carpenter. He's just the son of Mary. Even them saying that is maligning Jesus and alluding to the questionable circumstances around his birth, Jewish men were not known as the son of their mothers. They say, we know his brothers and sisters. They are ordinary people just like the rest of us. In their minds, there is zero possibility that Jesus could be anyone out of the ordinary. There was no point in entertaining the idea that he would ever be anything more than the man they had always known. They had convinced themselves that they already knew everything there was to know about Jesus. That's it. Wow. To think you know everything there is to know about Jesus. That's a pretty shaky place to stand, isn't it? That's a pretty prideful attitude to have. In spite of their initial amazement at seeing something in Jesus that was beyond what they could explain, they closed their mind and hardened their hearts. And their response was to be deeply offended by Jesus. They refused to believe that it was anything more than an ordinary man. I think this response in Nazareth gives us a lot of insight into Jesus' humanity. As we read the Gospels, we probably see him as more divine than human, but he's actually both. And he really must have been so human when you hear this reaction. Jesus was so normal, so ordinary and unremarkable to those around him. They couldn't believe that he was anything more than that. No one identified Jesus as a child prodigy or a gifted and talented child. You know, I wonder how many people are in Ipswich this morning saying, we always knew Ash Barty could grow up and win Wimbledon one day. Well, no one in Jesus' hometown steps forward and says, hang on, I always thought there was something about this guy that he might actually be the Messiah. No one said that. No one. Jesus lived such a humble, ordinary life. They couldn't see past him as their equal and they rejected him as God. 
They refused to open themselves to the possibility that what they were seeing and hearing in Jesus was actually a lot like what God would say and do. Instead of being prepared to look again and open to the truth in front of them, they held tightly to their assumptions and preconceived ideas about what God can and can't do. They had Jesus pigeonholed in a box that they refused to open. Do you ever feel tempted to keep God in a box where you can control him, where he's safe and predictable? There might be more to this Jesus stuff, but who knows what could happen if I open that box? They were deeply offended. The word for offense used here is this same word that we get the word scandal from. It means to stumble over an obstacle. In a society where class lines were defined and social mobility was limited, Jesus was an obstacle they could not overcome to think that God would speak and act through someone who seemed so commonplace. It was scandalous to them to think that one who grew up among them would turn out to be their deliverer and redeemer. God who would come in human flesh as their saviour to bring restoration and freedom. The people of Nazareth were expecting a glorious superhero Messiah whose credentials would be obvious to everyone. And we can also be pretty good at expecting God to conform to how we think he should act and how, what we think he should do. But often this is not how God shows up. Through this rejection of Jesus, Mark is pointing us to see that the way of Jesus is the way of the cross. It is offensive to people. Jesus' life is not just showing about showing us God's glory and power. There is also something for us to grasp about glory and suffering here. This is not what the world sees or expects or wants. It's an obstacle for many. And we can get stuck there. The things we don't understand the things that don't make sense to us. We can try and define God with rational, logical human reasoning and reduce God to an existence that we are comfortable with. Try and keep him in the parameters that we're prepared to accept. Jesus calls this unbelief. And here in Nazareth, this response of unbelief is amazing to Jesus. Have you noticed in other places with Mark, the crowds see Jesus and they are amazed. And and here, Jesus sees this response of unbelief and he is amazed. How could they see and not perceive? How could they hear and not understand? Unbelief is an attitude of our heart and a decision in our mind to close ourselves off to the possibility that Jesus might be more than the assumptions we've made about him. That he might be bigger than the box we want to keep him in. 
Tamara was baptised a few weeks ago and I couldn't help but notice how she described this attitude of unbelief in her own life. Reflecting on her journey, she writes, I was so fortunate to have grown up in a Christian family with parents who guided and prayed for me. But when I entered my teenage years, I decided that Christianity wasn't for me. My heart hardened against everyone who called themselves a Christian and all the rules that they followed. I began to hate the church and live for myself and myself alone. I think we can recognise unbelief as a heart that is hard and set against God. But I think unbelief can show itself in less obvious ways. I think unbelief might also be about the limits that we put on Jesus when we determine what he will and won't do. It's a challenge to us about the times when we don't expect that Jesus will do anything. So we don't ask him. Those times when it seems awkward to put our faith out there and ask Jesus for something amazing, so we don't. Or the hurt that we hold onto because we asked Jesus once and we didn't get the answer that we wanted. So we won't go back there. We won't risk asking him again. I was challenged as I read this passage. Would Jesus be amazed at our unbelief when we don't come to him and ask him to move and act in the power that he has, in the compassion and grace and faithfulness that he is? Writing to the church, Paul says in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving turning away from the living God. Unbelief is a posture or attitude of heart that makes us turn away from Jesus and the fullness of life that he holds for us as the living God. Instead of unbelief, we are meant to keep positioning our hearts towards him, running into him, coming before him and asking for his help. Mark makes a connection here between unbelief and the limiting effect it has on seeing Jesus' power at work. He says here in verse five, and because of their unbelief, he couldn't do any miracles among them except to place his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Everywhere Jesus went, crowds followed him and they were healed and set free. But here in Nazareth, there were only a few people healed because only a few people had the faith to come and ask Jesus for healing. Jesus never forces himself on anyone. He gives people the freedom to respond to him, to choose him or to turn away from him. It is not that Jesus' power to heal disappeared here. Nothing about Jesus has changed. What changed was the people's response. When people respond in faith, there is an expectation that Jesus has the power to intervene and to act. Here it must have been heartbreaking for Jesus and the disciples to see all these people in great need and then to watch them just walk away. They walked away because they thought they knew everything there was to know about Jesus. And they didn't see the life and hope and freedom that he was offering to them. 
I've often been struck by a verse in 2 Timothy 3, 5, where Paul warns Timothy against people who have a form of godliness, but deny its power. We don't want to be people who say they know God, but don't believe that he has the power to act and move and do amazing and incredible things. Unbelief is different to doubt and it's different to having just a little faith. Hear that this morning. In the chapter just before this one, Jairus asked Jesus to come and heal his daughter and then he hears that his daughter has died. Jesus says, hold on, don't be afraid, just believe. It's like Jesus is imploring him not to let go of the faith he had when he came to Jesus in the first place. That Jesus could do something here, keep holding on. In chapter nine of Mark, a desperate dad comes to Jesus on behalf of his son. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. And Jesus turns to this guy and says, what do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. That is Jesus' response. That guy didn't have much faith, mustard seed faith. But it was all he needed to ask Jesus to do something. And his son was healed. This isn't about how much faith we have. It's about taking whatever faith we have and placing it in Jesus. It takes humility to believe in Jesus, to open ourselves up to the truth of who he is and put our faith in him. It means that some of the things we've held onto will be challenged and we need to have open hearts and eyes to see what God is revealing to us, what he's calling us to. We enter relationship with God only by turning our hearts toward his son, Jesus, and receiving him, accepting his invitation to believe. Tamara's story goes on to describe the shift that took place in her to take her from unbelief to faith. Hear these words. While I'd stopped going to church, there was a rule in our house that Christmas and Easter church services were non-negotiable. So Easter of 2016, my parents dragged me to a service at a new church, Bridgman Baptist. In complete honesty, I hated being there. And despite my very best efforts at ignoring everything that was being said, I heard one thing, the Alpha Bible course. Nothing but God alone could explain why I did this, but I briefly mentioned it to my parents. And without telling me, my mum signed us up. I was mortified when I found out. Begrudgingly doesn't even begin to describe it, but I went with her to Alpha each week. Again, I tried my best not to listen and avoid everyone there. But after three weeks, something happened. Something changed within me. And the words they were saying and the endless love they poured out on me finally started to melt my heart. The realisation of the person I'd become began to weigh on me like a tonne of bricks. I felt like I was chained to the floor with the weight of all I had done. I'd given away everything, my character, my values, my identity and the very essence of who I was to the point where I could no longer recognise myself. 
my life felt empty. And the more I tried to fill it with the desires of this world, the emptier I felt. I was so broken that the only place left to look was up. I got on my knees and I prayed to the God they spoke about in Alpha. I said, God, if you're real, I really need you now. I need you to fix this. I need you to fix me. Right there on my knees in my room, I felt peace like I have never felt before. The heaviness I'd been feeling was lifted like someone breaking the chains around me. How incredible is our God? How incredible is every story of someone coming to faith? That awakening, that realization of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. We're celebrating baptisms in this season because it is a celebration of every one of those stories. And we long for more church, long for more. In a community of believers, faith grows more faith. We hear stories of God moving and working and it increases our expectation as we come to Jesus and we are filled with faith to believe Him and ask Him for more. Ask for His Spirit to be poured out. Ask Him to do impossible things. More stories like this church of lives being touched and changed by Jesus. More stories of healing, more stories of Jesus delivering people out of evil and darkness and into his wonderful life. More Jesus, more. If you are here this morning and you have ever prayed a prayer that Jesus has answered, put your hand up. Take a look around. Doesn't that fill you with faith? Why wouldn't we come to Jesus and ask him? We're encouraged by one another in this community of faith as we practice faith and build expectation of what the power of God can do and to see Jesus revealed as Lord and Saviour to so many more who are yet to meet Him and yet to experience the fullness of life in Him. The final verse that we read here doesn't finish with Jesus being amazed at the unbelief of those in Nazareth. The verse continues and you could easily miss it because most translations actually put the second half of this verse into the next section. But I think it is really important here to see that Jesus is amazed at the unbelief in Nazareth, but then goes from village to village, continuing to teach the people. He isn't cowering in a corner over this. He isn't crippled by this rejection. He doesn't call it quits and say, maybe this isn't my calling or my gift. He goes on sowing kingdom seeds. The kingdom is on the move. The kingdom is here. This is actually the point where his ministry expands. Can you believe that? And the very next passage talks about him sending out the disciples with the authority of Jesus to call people to repentance, to see people turn to God, to see miracles done in Jesus' name. And that same call is the same mission that Jesus invites each one of us as believers into. 
Are we people stumbling in our unbelief, limiting what Jesus can do? Or are we people of faith filled with expectation for what he has yet to unfold? As we see the needs of our world, as we continue to pray for revival, as we continue to live our everyday lives, sowing seeds, kingdom seeds, my prayer this morning is that we would be filled with faith, church. People who keep their hearts turned toward Jesus. People who are continually seeking after him and being more and more amazed by who he is and what he can do. People who have faith to come to him and ask and see the power of God do mighty, amazing things among us. Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, our heart is that our hearts would be soft to you this morning. That you would help us overcome our unbelief and fill us with faith again today for the promises you've made, for the things that we've yet to see. Lord, we come to you and ask you to reveal yourself to us. Oh Lord, we ask that you would do mighty amazing things amongst your people as we express our faith today in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna stand and sing this incredible song about our way maker, our promise keeper, our miracle worker. And I, I just wanna encourage you today, as you sing these words, think of the thing that is on your heart that you would love Jesus to do, the thing that you would love God to see, maybe something you'd let go of the hope that God can do. Bring it before Him again today. Call Him Lord and Saviour over that situation, that person, that thing today. And believe again in faith that He is moving and working and acting. If you would love, if you would like prayer over any of those things, we would love to pray with you and for you. Stand with you in faith this morning. Let's stand and sing church. I worship you. You are here. 
God's just calling us this morning through His Word to, to step out in faith, to step out in faith, to trust Him, to believe. We don't want to be like those people in Jesus' hometown. We want to be those who are of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We want to be a people of faith. That's personally for us in our own situations in life. Corporately for us as a church, we don't want to be a people who play it safe or cautious. We want to hear the voice of God and step out in faith and trust Him. He is so powerful. We don't want to limit Him. We don't want to box Him in in any way. We want to allow Him to do His work in and through us. He's a mighty, powerful God and He longs to pray His blessing. So Lord God, help us. Help us, Lord. Increase our faith, I pray. And the little things and the big things, great God, but we don't want to play it safe, Lord God. We don't want to get to the end of our life and say, well, you know, we just got through. We want to be a people who live by faith, who trust you in obedience, Lord, as you speak. And so I pray for some of us here today, there's situations and circumstances where maybe we've started to play it a bit safe or be cautious. Well, Lord, I pray you'd stretch us again out of our comfort zone, great God. Call us out afresh, I pray. Help us not to hold back, Lord. Because, Lord, you are able, you are mighty, you are powerful. You long to do so much more. You do, God. We've seen you do some incredible things, but so much more you long to do, Lord. And so we want to we wanna lean into this, great God. We do. We want to pursue you. We want to seek you with all of our hearts. That passage says, Lord, without faith, it's impossible. Please, God, you reward those who earnestly seek you, Lord. But we want to seek after you, great God. We do as your people. So bless, Lord, help in all the different situations, circumstances, Lord. We can't do this on our own by your Holy Spirit. That's why we come and gather like this. Thank you for your word to us to strengthen us in our faith, Lord. And so, Lord, we want to respond to this word today. Bless us now. As we continue conversations in the courtyard, Lord, we want to encourage one another. Be ones who build each other's faith up, Lord, I pray. Speak words of truth and encouragement, faith into each other's lives as well. Lord, bless us this week as the worship really begins now Lord, as we head out. Use us as your people, we pray. And we ask this, Lord, just pray your blessing now in Jesus' mighty and powerful name. Everyone said, Amen. Please be seated. If you'd like prayer, our prayer to me down here, there's a situation, God's calling for you just to respond in faith, in prayer this morning. Come, be prayed for. Um, don't forget, we've got the letters you can write to the believers in prison all around our world. Head out there afterwards. But God bless you. Thanks for those joining us online as well. If you want prayer, make sure you email through to prayeratbridgman.org.au and we look forward to connecting with you soon. Don't forget two baptisms tonight as well at our 6pm service. God bless.